went to reach out for my deodorant and I had pins and needles in the tips of my fingers and it felt like I had wet socks on and that was also pins and needles in my toes so I was crunching them and I even checked to see if I had socks on I don't wear socks in bed but uh, no I didn't have socks on so I couldn't work out what it was so I went to pick up the deodorant and it just fell through my hands then I went to go back to the to the bedroom. It's quite late at night by now, and I just collapsed on the bed. Luckily, my wife heard me, and she came up. She goes, "What's the matter?" I said, "I don't know," and she just says, "Your face has dropped. You're having a stroke." Friends were great. They came in. My line manager, Junior, he came in to see me in the hospital with his wife. He was a member of a gym. It's called the Aspire at Stanmore Hospital. He says, "Once you get out of here, I'm going to take you to the Aspire gym." He kept to his word, and that's what he'd done. And that's the one thing that got me going, was going to the gym. If you can, especially at the very beginning, at the very beginning when your head's a bit mashed, try and listen to the physios. Try and listen to the physios. Don't think that they're telling you to do the impossible. Hello, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. It's very common after stroke to experience hemiplegia, which is paralysis down one side of the body. The National Stroke Association of America estimates that 9 in 10 stroke survivors experience it. Hemiparesis, which is one-sided weakness, is experienced by at least 8 out of 10 stroke survivors. Going through life with only one side of your body fully functioning can be challenging, and it can require many months, sometimes years, to be able to regain your mobility. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from two stroke survivors from Stockport who are involved in the local support group and charity, Stroke Information. First is John Gilgun, originally from North London, who suffered a stroke at the age of 48. I was chasing money, really, in a way, quite badly. So I was doing 90-hour weeks, so that was maybe part of it. I'm a carpenter by trade, and then I found a job, or they got in touch with me, did I want to work for a company, so I worked for that company, and they said I could earn great money if I changed to doing drainage, unblocking drains and such. They had a contract with Tesco's, and that it would be all night, all day sometimes, eating on the go all the time, smoking too much. And then uh, on the 9th of August, 2011, woke up feeling a bit knackered. All I could think of is, oh, I've got another engineers meeting today. Went to reach out for my deodorant. And I had pins and needles in the tips of my fingers. And it felt like I had wet socks on. And that was also pins and needles in my toes. So I was crunching them. And I even checked to see if I had socks on. I don't wear socks in bed. But uh, no, I didn't have socks on. So I couldn't work out what it was. So I went to pick up the deodorant and it just fell through my hands. And I thought, oh, that's strange. But I had to get to the engineers meeting. So I drove to the engineers meeting. And then we had to go to our first job. My first job was in Uxbridge, I think. So I went up to the, uh, it's a big roundabout and I had to turn onto the M25. And as I was turning onto the M25, I felt sick. And I reached out for my PDA and that fell through my fingers. And I thought, I can't get sick because it's going to go in the inside of the windscreen. So I just pulled into the uh, hard shoulder. And I just sat there, I was like, flipping hell, what's going on? I drove home. I thought, I can't do, I can't do this. So I just drove home. Went to the bank, 
took out some money. And as I was driving down to my house, my wife and, and the girls were walking up and waved at her. And then I like, got home, just felt rough. Then she came in later on. And uh, she thought there was something wrong. I said, I'm going to go to bed, tired. So I went upstairs. As I went into the toilet to go to the toilet, we had a little lip. My left foot hit it and uh, I wet myself before I even got to the toilet. I thought, oh my God, what's going on? So then I went to go back to the, to the bedroom. It's quite late at night by now and I just collapsed on the bed. Luckily, my wife heard me and she came up. She goes, what's the matter? I said, I don't know. And she just says, your face has dropped, you're having a stroke. So she got the ambulance straight away. But because everything had happened first thing in the morning and we had gone through the day, they had to let it run its course. Because the first symptoms were first thing in the morning and I was presenting myself to the hospital last thing in the, at night, I even went for the MRI scan and nothing showed up on it because it wasn't a bleed. A bleed would show up. But I was still walking at that time. I was still able to walk and I was still able to lift my arm. But my family was there and they were saying, he's getting worse, he's getting worse. And they said, but we don't know if he's had a stroke. After the clot in John's brain was discovered, he spent time receiving treatment in a number of different hospitals. I was in UCH for not long and then they moved me to the Royal Free in Hampstead because that's nearer, it's where I live. I was pretty much told I might not be able to walk again. From there I was put to Edgware Hospital, community hospital. The physiotherapist there was brilliant. She got me on my feet, she put me under loads of pressure. I was lucky enough that she got in touch with Northwick Park and that is the main uh, rehab centre. So I was lucky to get in there. That was like the, the holy grail of where you're going to go. So they give you the worst scenario. You're not, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. So you just got to fight it. I wanted to get home, but there was nothing in place at home. And my wife was more nervous than me because they give you a weekend release. So when I was at the weekend release, they'd give you all the how to put your clothes on, one-handed and everything. But what they don't realise is they're helping you too much when you're there. So when I got home, I'd sit at the edge of my bed and Lindsay would go, you're going to get dressed and you'll have some breakfast. But when she went off, when I come back, I was still sitting on the edge of the bed. And she goes, why aren't you getting dressed? I said, I don't know. I was completely spaced out, really. I just didn't know how to do things. Or well, I knew how to do them, but I didn't know what well, the order of what I had to do. It takes a long time. There's a massive adjustment period, yeah. And that's the hardest thing. It's not, it's not that hard for me. And the, the, the worst thing is, that when you have a stroke, it's not hard for you. It's hard for your wife and the kids. It was a difficult period in John's life, but he had a strong network of friends and family around him and the support of Stroke Information and its founder, Nick Clark. Friends were great. They came in. My line manager, Junior, he came in to see me in the hospital with his wife. He was a member of a gym that's called the Aspire at Stanmore Hospital. He says, once you get out of here, I'm going to take you to the Aspire gym. He kept to his word. And that's what he'd done. And that's the one thing that got me going, was going to the gym. My family's been great. It's been hard on, on them. And I'm no longer the help that I was. So we've came up here because pretty much cost of living down London. We were going to lose the house in the end if we stayed there. Couldn't keep up with the mortgage. Sold that house, came up here. And through me and Nick, the first thing I did when I came up here was I googled stroke groups near me. And it came up with Disability Centre. 
and they put me on to Nick. So he came around the house and he says, what interests have you got? So I says, well, football. And he says, oh, he goes, what, what team do you support? And I says, well, before the stroke, I was a steward at Tottenham Hotspur. So he goes, oh, okay, he goes, would you like to do that job again? So I says, I can't do the services. I can't walk up and down the services, it'd be impossible. And he says, what about if he was on the flat? He goes, I'll try and get you a job as a steward for the disabled bit. And good to his word, that's what I do. I'm not able to stand up for the full 90 minutes yet. I sit down before the game starts, then I stand up and then uh, go as long as I can. If I've got to sit down, I've got to sit down. They've been very good down there. It says you don't have to stand for the whole time. If you've got to sit down, sit down. But the whole point is I've got to try and get to the point where I can stand for the 90 minutes if I can. When I says that I used to go to the gym in London, he turned around and he goes, well, there's a scheme up here called the Paris Scheme. And he's got me on that. So my wife drops me off at the gym and I go to the gym. And that's the one thing that helps me mentally, exercising. It's the best thing for someone who's had a stroke. If you can get out and get to the gym, very best thing for you. Him and the group has helped me to adjust up here. You can drop in, even though it's uh, on a Wednesday, 10 till 12, they don't keep it that you've got to come at 10 and you've got to leave at 12. You can drop in any time in between. And you're just going in there. You can say what you want to say. You can talk about anything because they've all been there, seen it, lived it. So it's been really hard because I lived in Finchley all my life. And just a simple thing like the pavings, up here they're all tarmac and everyone's got to drive so everything's undulating all the time and I'm always afraid that I'll go over on my left ankle. That's been the hardest adjustment, just walking around, just trying to get a walk around and I can't really get around. Without my wife I can't get anywhere, she drives me everywhere and it's just a never thing that's on her, you know what I mean? She's became the one who looks after everyone. The only reason I'm walking is because I've got an implant in my leg, a little pressure switch inside my shoe and it gives me the foot flexion. Without it, I've got a completely dropped foot and I wouldn't be able to walk anywhere. John also spends a lot of time working on strength and fitness in the gym. I can go on a sit-down bike. They've got cuffs at the back of your heel. If I went on a normal bike, my foot would just slip out, but because of these cuffs, that keeps you in. So I'm able to do the cycling. Then I'll get leg extensions. It's like Junior says to me, he says, try and isolate your left-hand side when you're doing an exercise. So I try and just do my left hand. On a very low weight, yeah, it works. You can't walk very far afterwards because it, it, it fatigues you. I still get really fatigued quite quickly, but it's good for you. I'm only very new up here. So one thing I want to do is uh, I want to go back to drawing. I used to love drawing when I was at school. So I'd like to learn how to draw and paint because I used to do what I thought was pretty good drawings, but if I painted them, they'd completely spoil them. So I'd like to get back into that somehow. When I was down in East Finchley, everyone would come up to you, treat you as normal. No different, absolutely no different. When I went to it, my local met up with my friends and watched a game of football, they'd all be good. Even up here, people say, what's happened to your leg? I said, it's a bit worse than that. But that makes me feel quite good that I don't look any different, if you like. So I've been quite lucky. My speech wasn't affected. My swallow wasn't affected. Not long before my stroke, my mum passed away from her second stroke and she couldn't communicate. So you realise how lucky you are. And he believes physio is critical in those early months of recovery. If you can, especially at the very beginning, at the very beginning when your head's a bit mashed, try and listen to the physios. Try and listen to the physios. Don't think that they're telling you to do the impossible. 
because you will feel like they're telling you that they'd be impossible, but you've got to listen to them and got to try. John's stroke had a knock-on effect on those closest to him and resulted in a move away from home. However, with a tremendous amount of support from his friends, family and local charity, he continues to make great progress. Still to come on Stroke Stories. I went to bed that night and when I got up, I stumbled to the ground. I thought because I was in the bedroom on the carpet, I thought my foot had slipped, but actually it hadn't. When I was on the floor, I just couldn't get up. I tried to get up, you know, sort of in a crawling way, and I just couldn't get up. Following my stroke, I was very frightened, which is a natural feeling. It was like being a child in the middle of a field when you start to try and learn to walk again. That was very difficult. In the end, I managed it. Uh, the physios there were very, very good and very strong and, you know, encouraged me. I had a loving family. I, had, I have three beautiful children and everybody was running around looking after me. Got a lot of friends. I'm very lucky to have kept all my friends, you know, and they all still come and see me, even though they, you know, you'd think they'd tail off by now, but no, they haven't. I joined an exercise group, and that was very helpful. And then I got to know about this stroke group. My daughter had gone to somewhere where Nick was. Nick is the group founder and she had his card and I'd had it all that time with me so then I just contacted Nick and then it all took off from there really. In the second part of this episode we hear from Rona Bagchi who suffered a stroke in 2016 at the age of 65. I wasn't actually working because previously I'd had some sort of problems, hips and things so I'd had a hip replacement. I have three children and between them all, I've got 10 grandchildren. So basically, my life was sort of involved with them, really. I was just starting to sort of have a nice life, getting here, there and everywhere. I just returned from London after a few days away with my friend and we had a lovely time. Then one week later, I went to bed that night and when I got up, I stumbled to the ground. I thought, because I was in the bedroom on the carpet, I thought my foot had slipped, but actually it hadn't. When I was on the floor, I just couldn't get up. I tried to get up, you know, sort of in a crawling way, and I just couldn't get up. And in actual fact, I'd had a stroke. I might have had one or two, I don't know, but it all happened in the middle of the night. I called out to my husband, and he came and he sort of tried to get me up and he couldn't get me up. So then my son who only lives across the main road, he phoned him up and he came. He realised that I'd had a stroke. He phoned the ambulance and the ambulance came, got to the hospital and that. I didn't feel anything at first. I was talking, I was responsive, the paramedics came out and they did what they could. I was taken to the hospital. I knew, I remember going to the hospital in the ambulance and everything. And it was only when I got to the hospital that things took a turn that I, I was ill then. I felt really sort of, 
my body felt terrible. I had sort of tingling all all over and I couldn't move my arm or my leg. I'd actually had a stroke that is a clot in the brain, which affected my uh, left side. Uh, I still can't move my arm, although my leg has progressed. I've got a drop foot, which is very common in people that have a stroke. So now I have a caliper on my foot. I was at Stepping Hill Hospital and the unit there was absolutely fantastic. They were really good. They looked after me very well. But following my stroke, I was very frightened, which is a natural feeling. It was like being a child in the middle of a field when you start to try and learn to walk again. That was very difficult. In the end, I managed it. Uh, the physios there were very, very good and very strong and, you know, encouraged me. Rona was in hospital for a number of months and she had a long period of adjustment when she returned home. It was very difficult because I left my house very tidy and very lovely. And I was fortunate enough to have two rooms. We had one lounge that was like the nice one that nobody goes in, you know, only when the visitors come and then the everyday lounge. But then whilst I was in hospital, my children had all got together and it was decided that they would convert the lounge that I never used into a bedroom and a bathroom. So all the things that were in there, one of these big units, display units, we got everything that was in there and had quite a few settees because you can imagine having 10 grandchildren and have three children and spouses. So the hospital were actually giving a little bit of pressure that they wanted me to go and quit. But my son was working a full-time job and also doing, trying to get the bathroom ready, which is not that easy when you're waiting for plumbers and this, that and the other coming in. But in the end, the hospital said, we'll come and have a look, even if you have to sort of be in the middle of the rubble and all that, you know. So anyway, my daughter-in-law, she made it very nice downstairs and they got the bed downstairs. So apart from all the upset of the stroke and not being able to walk or do anything, I was going home to a life that, that I never had before my house was upside down. It wasn't my house anymore. As things got on, things progressed and I, you know, got settled and moved in, eventually moved into the bedroom and I had physio and because I have calipers and my feet were quite bad, so I have to have shoes made to measure. And I've been very lucky to have had the care. The stroke also took an emotional toll. I had to have some therapy for a while, counselling, which I think in the end helped me a little bit. I couldn't sleep at night. I had this fright that I think most people that have had a stroke will have. You're really frightened, depending on the time when you had the stroke. I had it in the night. I was scared of going to bed at night. I had a loving family. I had I have three beautiful children and... Everybody was running around looking after me. Got a lot of friends. I'm very lucky to have kept all my friends, you know, and they all still come and see me, even though they, you know, you'd think they'd tail off by now, but no, they haven't. I try to keep positive. I joined an exercise group, and that was very helpful. And then I got to know about this stroke group. 
My daughter had gone to somewhere where Nick was. Nick is the group founder. And she had his card and I'd had it all that time with me. So then I just contacted Nick and then it all took off from there, really. I needed to renew my blue badge. Nick helped me a lot. He's helped me a lot with my uh, bus pass as well. So that's been, you know, very helpful. I think he's just a very supportive man and he was very good because at that time my husband wasn't well. He had a bit of breathing problems and Nick used to come and get me and take me there. So that took a lot off my husband. There are people that would like to come and they can't get here. It's difficult. I know there's all sorts. People would say, oh, well, there's all sorts of voluntary organisations and that that would bring you. But it's very hard, especially when you're like me. I've got this caliper on my leg and getting in and out of transport, you know, you need a lot of help, really. So, you know, I know volunteers are excellent and we won't be able to get by without them. If you can get into a volunteer's car, then that's good. But as a stroke survivor, you don't like putting people out either. If you've got a wheelchair, you don't want people to love the wheelchair. You feel for them. Rona is remaining positive and working on her mobility. I'm doing physio since my husband died. I couldn't get to the physio because every time I have to try and get somebody to take me. And I have three children, but they all work full time. And, you know, they have to work like everybody else to pay the mortgage. They can't take time off work. Occasionally they do to take me places, but now the physio was very good. So she's organised a community physio to come. I would like to walk better. I would like to walk more independently on my own. I walk with a stick at the moment. It would be nice to walk on my own. I am realistic. I've accepted the fact I can't move my arm much, but I try and try and try. And I think I'm just going to have to learn to live with what I can't do. But I do have Botox treatment in my arm. The bicep muscle gets very tight and that causes a lot of pain. So I have that every four months. Rona also has advice for loved ones of a stroke survivor. Relatives get a bit overprotective and want to do everything for you. Like they'll rush to your help if you're dropping a bit of food on you. But if the relatives give their loved one chance to try to do it themselves, because we're very slow. So sometimes, because it takes a brain a little bit of time to grasp, so you can do what you want to do maybe seconds or so after you're thinking to do it. So just give the person time. Rona faced a long recovery after her stroke and her home had to be refitted to allow her the space to properly recuperate. She has continued to work hard at her physio and is making every effort to get involved in the Stroke Information Support Group. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred provider and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. The Stroke Association website also has plenty of resource there if you'd like to find out more about stroke. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listener.